everybody doing this morning? always sense it. We may not always sense when you're doing something, but that we would know by faith you are. God, that we would never complain you're not doing enough because, Lord, who knows? We may sit at the end of our lives and look back at the videotape and realize you saved us far more than we ever realized. You protected us far more than, you ever real, than we ever realized. And when we were tested, we were tested because you allowed it, because you were going to use that to grow us and to help us to become more dependent in faith upon you. So, Lord, help us to be faithful and, and really to, to hunger for something more in our walk with you. To never be satisfied, God, with, with, like we might get satisfied with a piece of bread. God, I pray that when we eat a good steak tonight, we would wake up tomorrow hungry for more. In Jesus' name, amen. Obviously, I was speaking of spiritual steak there, so I just... Clarify that. In the land of steak. So, <laughs> I, uh, I heard a, a funny teenager joke. I, as a youth pastor, I always used to love to tell teenager jokes because here's the thing I knew all the teenagers would go, ah, you know, it'd always be one of those. But it, it was like the one thing I got out of church. You know, so I'm just kidding. So, it's this teenager. And he, he, he uh, finds God. And so God is sitting on a chair, and he comes up to God, and he says, God, is that really you? And God says, it's really me. And the teenager said, well, I got a question to ask you. And God says, go right ahead. I am the one who answers questions. And so the teenager said, is it true that one second is like a million years to you? And God says, it's absolutely true. One second is like a million years to me. And the teenager goes, oh, okay. He goes, you know what? Is it also true that one penny is like a million dollars to you? And God says, that's true. Uh, one penny is like a million dollars to me. And so a teenager kind of thinks about it and says, all right, well, how about this then? Would you be willing to give me a penny? And God thinks about it for a moment and says, give me a penny. Is that in my mic? 
Here we go. Oh, I did it. Oh, it, it's, I'm too short? Well, I know that. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> is anybody here disputing that? <laughs> Am I good now? All right, good to go. I'm only too short when Derek's standing next to me. <laughs> when I got my sons next to me, I am the big man. <laughs> but they're only seven, so it's, uh, I can only use that for so long. All right, let's head over to Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. We're going to go through these B attitudes again. And uh, I've had a lot of fun with these. You know, I have to admit, when I, was, when I first became a Christian, I was not a Christian all my life, um, but late into high school, I, uh, I became a Christian, and one of the things the youth pastor did was try to teach me these first. And what's very interesting is how strongly I reacted against them. And uh, I kind of wrote some things in my journal, and, and I'm going to read you these verses and kind of write to you my, uh, or read to you my first initial reaction with these Beatitudes. Now, some of you who are very new to Christianity... You might identify a lot with what I'm about to read. Some of you, have, you know, who have been uh, following Jesus for a long time, it, 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 might, you might, it might kind of shock you what I'm going to say, but at the same time, I hope you see how someone might say that or come to that conclusion. Amen? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, as we come to the Word right now, we pray that you would open up our minds, open up our hearts and our spirits to hear what your Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So I begin at verse 3, and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Translation, translation, blessed are the losers, because they just can't do it on their own. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Translation, blessed are the sad and depressed. Well, at least they got God. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Doesn't that mean weak? Number six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Well, that kind of sounds like they're already not good or nice people yet. So why are they hungering and thirsting for it? Verse seven. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Oh, please. Everybody knows that doesn't work. If we were merciful to Hitler, we'd all be speaking German. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity. Dot, dot, dot. Number 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. See comment on merciful. Number 10. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, that sounds great. Where can I sign up to be rejected, made fun of, and ostracized? Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, when people persecute you, when people falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. I'm failing to see the blessing in this. Can some reasonable people tell me why this is a blessing? And then verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. 
For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sounds a bit masochistic to me. Somebody desperately needs to tell this Jesus that this is not how the world works. He needs to appeal to reasonable people more. He sounds like a good guy, sounds like a good preacher. We just need to work on his sermons a bit to appeal to a broader population. Have you ever honestly read some of the sayings of Jesus and in your hearts you have a little bit of this reaction to it? You're kind of thinking in the back of your mind, this isn't how the world works, Jesus. Are you that naive? And I found an answer. Famous theologian, one of the professors at George Fox University up in the Portland, Oregon area, Dallas Willard, he wrote a book about 10 years ago, and it won a whole bunch of rewards, national bestseller, called The Divine Conspiracy. And in it, he shares a little bit of his testimony in how he also reacted much the same way I first did to these statements and teachings of Jesus we call the Beatitudes. I want to read here from from him because I paraphrased it a bit, but really in his own words, I think it says, says it all and says something beautiful. Listen to this. He says, A strong, intelligent military person once had such an unhappy experience with these first verses of Matthew 5 that he left the church and his allegiance to Jesus Christ. He had been told that these verses were with its list of the poor and the sad, the weak and the mild, were the picture of an ideal Christian. He explained to his heartbroken mother very simply, Mama, that's not me. I could never be like that. And Dallas Willard writes, I understand this young man's experience. In my teens, in the early 1960s, I also renounced my Christian identity and church for similar reasons. I clearly remember sitting in youth group meetings where these verses were held up as the ideals to emulate. I remember snickering in the back row with my buddies as the pastors tried to cajole us not to be cocky and macho, but to be meek and mild. The picture of the Christian life, however, seemed lamely pathetic. Even though my macho hubris may have just as been may have been just as pathetic, the Christian church seemed to have nothing to offer as a viable alternative. Not too many years after that, I sat under the brilliant stars in the jungles of Vietnam. And all of a sudden, the significance of these teachings I had heard just a few years ago seemed to overwhelm me as I wept. I was a member of a crack, cocky, airborne infantry combat battalion. And one night, after an especially ravaging battle, I experienced the reality of what Jesus was trying to warn us in these Beatitudes. I had killed gleefully that day. I had ripped the life out of other young men without even a twinge of conscience. And then I also saw the bodies of my 19 and 20-year-old squad members ravaged by other young men 
who were our hated enemies. And yet probably none of us on either side could adequately offer an explanation as to the cause of our animosity toward one another that would make us kill like we just did. That night, I experienced the brokenness of this life and world system. That night, I became poor in spirit as I recognized the depth of my own depravity. The evil within me and the evil within the world became more clearer to me. It was not clear before. The brevity of my life consumed me as I realized I could be killed at any moment. I saw the real world, life as it truly is, people as they really are, and a hunger for a different way and a different world. All of a sudden, words like meek, righteousness, mercy, purity, and peacemaking all became so much more clearly preferable to the way I had been pursuing significance and success. I saw the horror of my life apart from God. I saw my abuse of people in order to satisfy lust. And two years later, as I chewed on this, I accepted Jesus' invitation to enter into the life of the kingdom of God. So how did I transition from cocky and macho to living for God's kingdom? Very simply, and yet very profoundly, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart and my mind to see more clearly the blessings that a life in Christ had to offer. I'd never tried to be poor, to be meek, to be mournful. In fact, to this day, I still can't try to do that. But I have found, as I get closer to God, it is how the Holy Spirit naturally begins to work through me. If both kingdoms involve suffering on some level, if we suffer from persecution or rejection in joining God's kingdom, or we suffer from the rat race of life and trying to live for the world's kingdom, then me, I'd rather be in Jesus' kingdom. His, I have found, is a life worth living. His is a life that works. As I began to chew on these verses over the years, I began to realize that Jesus was speaking about something incredible. Jesus came from a world that was not like ours. And he spoke of a world that was not like ours. As he began to say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they who mourn, blessed are the pure in heart, or the peacemakers. He's describing the world that he came from, the world that he offers us. And so this morning, I'd like to dive into that world and focus on the very last couple of verses. Because as you could see, even in my reading of it this morning, it was the verses that I most reacted to. I may have been ignorant of the first seven or eight. But when it got to the end, talking about persecution and rejection, now, we have to talk about that because that is a very serious issue. First of all, let's go into a little bit of meaning just to give you this. It might be on your sheet. I can't, I don't, I can't remember if I, I put that in there or not. But uh, first of all, 
the word blessed, when you get all those blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, you get some translations that'll say, congratulations goes to, or some translations that will say, happy, happy are those who are meek, happy are those who mourn. Really, all of those do not carry the full weight of it. The problem with happiness is it's based on circumstance. Happiness comes from the word happenstance, which is related to circumstance. So if your circumstances are good, you can be happy. Well, the Beatitudes doesn't necessarily always talk about good circumstances. So I think happy is kind of a weak word. To live in a state of blessing is where there's an inner joy, an inner hope, an inner peace, and more importantly, an inner victory that no single person or situation can take away. There's something inside that has that sense of blessing that no matter how badly you screw up, forgiveness is coming. No matter how big of a mistake you made, whether intentional or not, there's always that hope that God is with you and will lead you out of that and will guide you and that we have help in this world. There's a blessing as we traverse in this world on our way to the next. And that no single person can take that away is one of God's promises to us. But I would add this. Nobody can take away these blessings unless we give them the power to. As so often we do. If you go to verse 10 and you really look at it, it uses the word blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Ladies, forgive me, but I have to process this verse as a man. As a man, persecution invokes in me a stubbornness. I have made my free will choice to follow Christ. If I get persecuted because of it, I'll stubbornly dig my heels in and say, oh, I'm sorry, that's the way I am. As a man, the persecution for my beliefs doesn't sting half as much as what persecution really truly is. It's a rejection. It may be a rejection of what I believe, but ultimately, it's a rejection of me. And how we process rejection can be key to how we find the blessing in being persecuted. So point number one, if you're in your notes, ask why you are being rejected. Honestly, ask why. Sometimes people are not rejecting the message, but they're rejecting the messenger. Sometimes we invoke rejection and persecution because we're either being mean-spirited or critical or insensitive or disrespectful. That happens all the time. Sometimes persecution is coming because we are representing the truth badly. And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves honestly, why is there persecution coming our way? Why, why do I feel like I'm being rejected? But the second thing, and I think this is almost even, even more important, if you're being rejected because of your pursuit of Christ, 
then you'll have to answer another question. Why does this person or people have so much power over you? Listen, I love people. I love Christian people. I love atheist people. I love Buddhist people. I love half people. I love little people. I love old people. People fascinate me. I love to see how they have processed the world that we live in, how they have answered the questions that we all come up with at some point or another. Uh, The fact that a person might reject me because I believe in Christ, so often I attribute that to their own problem rather than mine because I know in my heart I'm not going to reject them for who they are, at least most of the time. (laughs) There's a few people out there that eh, the jury's still out on that one. But anyway, you get my point, you know, that sometimes we, as we get rejected, we give people so much power that we begin to forget or neglect that the power we're giving them is the same power we're attempting to give to God. That God's acceptance, God's pleasure over our lives is to take first priority, which diminishes, diminishes the power of people's rejection. Now, like I said earlier, if it's your fault, if you're being mean, or if you're not being nice, and people are like, I don't want to be around you. That's your problem, your fault. You need to go deal with that. God will make you go deal with that. He will say, leave your gift at the altar and go make peace with your brother before he throws you in jail, whether it's a literal jail or an emotional one. But sometimes you haven't done anything. Just the simple fact that you have said, I'm going to try Jesus' kingdom. I'm going to give this world's kingdom stuff over, over, to the, over to what it is. And I'm going to pursue Jesus's. And there's going to be people who aren't happy with that. And so when you've asked yourself honestly, is this the case? Then we go to n- number two. And number two is this. Become an instead of follower of Christ. After honest evaluation, we overcome the power people have over us by daring to be different, by becoming instead of people. As situations in life come up, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the instead of option. Kind of goes like this. How can we give instead of take? How can we work instead of be lazy? How can we rest instead of Work 24-7. How can we love instead of hate? How can we befriend instead of judge? How can we keep our mouths shut sometimes instead of let all that flow out of you? How can we show mercy instead of oppression? The Beatitudes and Jesus' call to us as followers of him are calls to be instead of people. How could we help instead of just walk by? Did you hear the news story that came out of China this week? My goodness, it broke my heart. I don't even know if I can say it this morning. A little baby girl was hit by a truck in the street 
her injured body on the side of the curb. Another truck hit her and then backed up over her. A motorcycle nearly hit her and drove around her. Eighteen people walked around her as she sat bleeding and crying on the side of the road. Finally, one person who they thought was going to rescue her picked her up off the street and propped her up against the public garbage can and walked away. Google it. Eighteen pedestrians walked by instead of, and one person finally did, picking her up, taking her to the hospital. And of course, all the Western journalists had a field day with this story. And, and, and of course, the, 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 one of the answers given was, you don't understand the culture of China, where it is very difficult to have a daughter because of their place in society and the amount of money you have to put up to get them married. And I think to myself, we need to be an instead of people. I want to live in an instead of world. The world desperately needs some instead of people. By the way, this was all caught on a traffic cam that somebody in, and now this is very rare for China, if you know anything about China, they put it on the internet long enough for it to be circulated throughout the world. Of course, China tried to get rid of it right away. And so that's, that's how there's some footage of this. And she was, in the, she was still alive when she made it to the hospital. She has sadly since died. When I think of being an instead of person, I think to myself, I never know when I'm going to need an instead of person. When I'm going to need someone to love me instead of hate me. When I'm going to need someone to forgive me instead of carry the grudge against me. Even in rejection. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you become the thing you may one day need. Number three, become an its own follower of Christ. An its own. Its own is simply this, to be merciful becomes its own reward. To be pure becomes its own reward. To serve God becomes its own reward. The reward to serve God is to serve God. That to reconcile with somebody we're in conflict with becomes its own reward. To lay down the what's in it for me attitude as we live life becomes its own reward. It's not that it is bad to have people accept you. It's not what I'm trying to say this morning. I'm not trying to say by any means that it's bad to try to have people accept you, but not if their acceptance has more power over you than the kingdom of God. Having Christ in your life and the Holy Spirit in your heart becomes its own reward and purpose for living. And rejection and the power of people's rejection for what you believe loses its power over you. Finger by finger. Number four, receive, receive Christ's love. Love with Christ's love. You can't fight love. There's one thing I learned after 12 years of youth ministry. It's that sometimes 
a lot of kids were getting angry and fighting or girls, you know. I, I, I saw a decade where I saw more girl fights than I've ever seen in my whole life. Just anger in some of these young women. And I tell our youth leaders, love, love, love them. But they start yelling at us and they start threatening us. Love them, love them. Lo- you cannot fight love. You cannot beat love. You cannot win love. Love conquers all. And when you begin to love, 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 it is backed with the power of heaven and that power cannot be overcome in this world. When we take matters into our own hands and try to humanitize it, well, we take a risk. Sometimes we're powerful enough to win, sometimes we're not. But when you love and you bring God's love into that situation, you cannot lose no matter what. No matter what the rejection may be facing you. You cannot fight love. True, real, agape love. And then finally, release the pain to God. I don't want to sit here and doubt for a moment that rejection can be a painful thing, even if it's not for your faith, even if it's just for who you are. I know there's some people in this world, I don't know why, I just can't get them to like me. And the harder I try, the bigger of a deal it becomes in my life to try to get them to like me. You know what happens after a while? I start to get angry at them for what they've become to me. This person I want to get to like me so much and they just won't and now I'm getting mad. And now all of a sudden I'm rejecting them because they didn't accept me. But what's really going on? I'm not dealing with this pain right. Not everybody's going to like us may have nothing to do with your Christianity. Sometimes people aren't going to like you because of your Christianity. In either scenario, we've got to take that pain and just release it up to God. And in that release, and you may say, how do I do it? I just do this. In prayer, I just kind of cup over my heart and I say, God, I release this person and their acceptance and the big deal I'm making of it up to you. Take away the power because this is causing me to be angry and afraid. Amen. You'd be surprised how God will honor that prayer. But there's another reason. And I'll end with this story. It's not a story, it's a scripture. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, do you know what the people who put him there were doing? They were mocking him. They were making fun of him. They were ridiculing him. Come on down from the cross if you're the son of God. Hurling insults at him. You know what Jesus said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus was releasing that up to God. He cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's taking it this way. He's not yelling back. He's not saying, after I die, boy, there's going to be some things in store for you. Jesus is processing all of it. with. He is ignoring the, their, their words and their rejection, as painful as they were. And I tell you, I, the rejection of the, the leaders in the nation of Israel, I believe, was 100 times more painful than those Roman males. These were his people. He was there when he led them out of Egypt. He was there. 
And now they've killed him. And he released his pain to God. And he died with dignity. He died never hurling an insult back. In fact, one, one, this just came to me. As he died, you know what one of the Roman soldiers said? Surely this was the son of God. You know why I think he said that? He's watching these Jewish leaders and this supposedly Jewish Messiah having an exchange. He's seeing how immature and how vindictive they're acting, and he is seeing an incredible thing out of, out of the man hanging on the cross. Praying and giving it all to God. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Bow your heads with me. Perhaps you have some people on your list this morning who have rejected you. And maybe their acceptance is gaining more power over you than God's kingdom. I think one of the things we can be most afraid of is the words other people say about us. And Jesus says, if they're criticizing you because of me, then it's not you. They're not criticizing you. They're criticizing me in you. Be healed of that. Release that to me. I'll take it. Maybe you've made a mistake. Maybe somebody is distancing themselves from you for good reason. You can't fight love. Honestly and sincerely, bring the love of God into that situation in whatever way you can and however they'll let you. Why don't you take a moment and just... Ask God if there's anyone you need to reconcile with, if there's a situation you need to become an instead of Christian. If there's a perspective you need to be in its own, that it is its own reward. and you'd like to become a part of Christ's kingdom. All you have to say in your heart is, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I invite you and the Holy Spirit into my heart. And I choose to live for your kingdom and to follow you. It is the choice we make to follow a man from a different world and to go to that different world.
Father, I pray for a blessing now upon this congregation. May your face shine upon them. May you lift their countenance with joy and gladness. And will you keep their minds in perfect peace until we meet again in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Next week we'll be talking about well, more of this kind of stuff, but salt. How about salt? I'll just leave it there. Salt. Salt.